Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series on Elisha as we look at miracles, especially in the Old Testament, and the impact they have on our faith. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil shows us a top ten unbelievable story in the Bible. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us to see some important points about living life in difficult times and shows us some ways to more effectively minister. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. And if you have a Bible, turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. If you've got a church Bible, we're going to be on page 368. Page 368. As you guys are turning there, you guys have heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not, haven't you? It's a cartoon. I have a cartoon. A book, a TV show, radio show. Uh, they've got museums, one in San Francisco, pretty cool. Um, and they're basically just kind of crazy stuff, right? Every um, year, however, Ripley's Believe It or Not, they come up with a list called their top 10 strangest stories of the year. And as you're turning your Bibles, I want to share with you three of them. Let's put the first one up there. This 66-year-old Indian man, they say, has 39 wives, 94 children, and 33 grandchildren. Now listen, it gets better. They all live together in a four-story, 100-room building. Quote, I once married 10 women in one year, he said. And then uh, Ripley's, they always add this one little line at the end. They make it kind of funny. They say this, he's proof that there's still hope for Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Uh, I didn't say that. They said I thought it was pretty funny. This next one is not a good picture, but it's a very good story. Let's put the next one up there. Um, J- Japanese tsunami, tsunami survivor found 10 miles out at sea. 60-year-old Hiromitsu Shikawa was rescued after a devastating tsunami in Japan. He was found on the roof of his floating house two days later, nearly 10 miles out at sea. That's a pretty incredible story, right? This last one is my favorite one, though. Let's put it up on the screen. Says, uh, Alabama company turns gun lovers ashes into ammunition. <laughs> Talk about you're fired. An Alabama company called Holy Smoke will turn cremated ashes into ammo so family and friends can fire off a new round of grandpa. <laughs> Sorry. It says, a pound of ash gets you about 250 shotgun shells. Talk about going out with a bang, they say. So they got all these stories. Why I start this way is that this morning we are going to look at Ripley's, believe it or not, one of the top 10 strangest stories in the entire Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, and it's a story about a floating iron head, axe head kind of thing. It's just weird. It's just strange. Now, why are we talking about it? Well, we're in the middle of this series on Elisha. One of the reasons I like these kind of series is because they force us to look at these kind of stories, right? Honestly, my job is very, very easy when we're doing the prodigal son or, you know, Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Those are easy stories. But on stories like today, I really have to work hard. And we have to work hard because we actually believe that everything in this book is given to us for a reason and can and should be helpful to us. So we're going to go through this story. Now, what I'm going to do is, uh, if you'll notice on your study guide, the front 
part is blank. I'm going to give you a lot of context and go on a couple different tangents. You can write down whatever you want. You can write down nothing if you want, right? But then we'll eventually kind of nail down the, the main point of the story and what we're going to get out of it. We're going to start by reading it. So let's put the first couple verses up on the screen. Verses one through four start out. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and they began to cut down trees. There's a couple things I want to point out to you from these verses right here. One of the things that you need to understand as we start Second Kings chapter six is by this point in time in the story, Elisha is the man. And when I say the man, he's the man. Elijah is long gone. He's faded from the memory of God's people. Elisha is the one through whom God has been speaking, right? And he's the man. And he, he gets to the point in time in his leadership role that he understands that uh, part of his responsibility is to prepare and train others so that when he's gone, they take over. And so you see right at the top, it says that he was hanging out with the company of the prophets, now, he's the prophet. These are like junior prophets. They're students. They're in Bible college, Bible seminary. They're preparing. They're the kind of people that go, I want to be part of this, but I need help and I need training. And so what, what he is doing is he's actually coaching them. He's discipling them. He's mentoring them. Now, a couple years ago, when I was doing some doctoral work down in Southern California, one of the, th the things that we talked about is mentoring. And one little principle that seems so obvious that was helpful to me is what they called 360-degree mentoring. And what it is, 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 is and when you look, think of mentoring, there's always that, that kind of that, that, that professor, teacher type person that knows more than you do, maybe is a little older than you are, is more educated than you are, you know, they have more experience, and they're the person you call, whether it's professionally or personally or spiritually, they're the person you call when you have questions and you have issues. You all should have someone like that in your life. I have two or three people like that in my life, a couple pastors, my dad, any issue that I'm having, I'm just kind of wondering, there's this, this person that I lean on and trust upon and, and depend on. Uh, then, of course, there's the, the opposite, the kind of, let's call them the student, right? This is the person that you're pouring into. Um, you are more experienced than they are. You are more educated than, than they are. You are 10 years ahead of where they were. Now, instinctively, all of us or many of us will go, I don't have anything to contribute. That's just not true. The Bible says every single one of us has something to contribute in someone else's life. Every single one of us. If you're a teenager, I guarantee you, there's some second grader in children's ministry right now that would love to have you kind of in their life being a part of it. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is find someone that you can pour into. Don't announce yourself as their mentor. That sounds really strange. Just want you to know I'm going to be your mentor from now on. Just pour into their life. That's it. Just, you know, whether it's them learning how to be a spouse or how, whatever it is, professionally and spiritually. So those we understand, the teacher mentor, kind of the student, the mentor, what they help me understand is 360 mentoring also includes peer mentors. These are people that are just as educated, same age, just as experienced, and you are. We normally call them friends, but they are also people that are sharpening our skills. And so, again, what is happening right here is that Elisha, Elisha is beginning this process of pouring into other guys, pouring into other people, right? Now, they have a problem. 
The problem is this. They've got their university hall where he does his lectures, so to speak. And that place is too small for them. Does that problem sound familiar? It's kind of an issue that we've been having as a church for a while now, for four or five years. Now, we don't have a problem now because we have this big, big area and big room. But you do know, now we've been talking about this for a while, but you do know at some point in time we got to move out. And at this point in time, they've told us sometime through next, middle of next year, we're going to have to move, right? And uh, so it's just a matter of time. God's been good to us. We only thought we were going to be here five, six months, right? We've been here a year and a half plus, so we'll take everything we can get. Um, Almost to the Sunday... We, last year, were participating in what was called our Imagine Campaign. You guys remember the Imagine Campaign? Many of you were here. And all that was is us kind of rallying together and saying, hey, together as a church family, we got to figure out a way to put some money aside so that when we find that plot of land and when we find that building, we're ready to move financially. Um, I want to encourage you to do three things. I don't talk a lot about the Imagine stuff up front here anymore. I just send letters out. But three things real quick is keep trusting God. He knows what he's doing. We, we have had two buildings that we put contracts in. We thought we were going to get and didn't get for a number of reasons. Keep trusting God in the midst of difficult times where you don't know what's going to happen. God tends to build your faith if you let him. Second thing is keep praying. I, I'm just going to ask you whether it's you know, mealtime when you're praying for the food or whether it's tucking your kid into bed or whatever it is you pray. I would ask you to add this to your prayer requests. Um, because it's going to make a difference that God would give us wisdom and guide us. And by the way, when you send us suggestions, we always follow up on that. So keep, keep trusting, keep praying. The last thing is keep giving. Um, if you were part of the Imagine campaign, you probably made some sort of promise or pledge. If you didn't, because you, you've joined us since, you can just jump in and, and start doing that. But if you made that promise and pledge, I want to encourage you to keep giving. It's a sign of maturity to continue to give when you don't see results yet. If I had architectural drawings and graphs in the back and I could say, hey, this is the building, you can drive by it, it's much more motivating. We don't have that yet. But when we find it, we need to be ready to move, okay? So I just, you know, little tangent, talk to you about that. Now, the rest of the verse, you have two principles. One is a ministry principle, one is a, his, a, a, a leadership principle. The ministry principle you see through the circles, the words that are repeated over and over and over in this entire chapter. Us, 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 we. One of the things you need to understand about effective ministry, effective ministry is when all of us pick up an axe, which is essentially the story here. They're chopping down trees and help out a little bit. That's what effective ministry looks like. That's what healthy churches look like when everybody helps some way, somehow. Now, I I want to encourage you. Some of you are fairly new and, you know, you're just trying to get a feel for the church. That's fine. It takes time. Some of us have been here for a while and it's time to figure out where can I participate? Where can I help? Um, I am so incredibly proud at so many people serving and helping. But every so often, it seems like we got all the slots that we need filled. Every so often, it seems like three months later, I got a whole new barrage of staff members and ministry leaders going, we need more people. You know why? Because we keep growing. We keep getting more and more people. I just I'm just going to let it be. Figure out a place where you can participate. Fill it out in your card. Come talk to me. Go talk to the office, the folks that are in the back. And why? Because effective ministry uh, is always reflective when all of us do something. Now, there's also a leadership principle here. By the way, before I I go on, someone read uh, sent this to me email. I was going to put it on the screen, but I forgot. So just concentrate. It's very, very clever. And it makes a point. It says once upon a time, there were four people. 
named everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. He says there was an important job to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. When nobody did it, everybody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that somebody would do it, but nobody realized that nobody would do it. So it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done in the first place. I think we've made the point. Effective ministry is when all of us get involved and do something. Do something. Figure out a place to serve. Uh, The leadership principle you see right at the end, they're, get, they're getting down, going down the Jordan River. They're going to chop down some trees. They're going to build a new, whatever, Bible college hall, whatever. And they ask Elisha, the leader, you're going to come with us? And it says, yeah, he went with them to gut down some trees. If you're a leader at work or at church or wherever you are a leader, remember an effective leadership principle or effective leaders are also willing occasionally to pick up an ax and do some dirty work to do some grunt work, to do some menial work. It would have been so easy for Elisha to go, oh, no, 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 I got the plans of what we're going to do. I'm the leader. I'm a little bit older. I'm in charge. Why don't you do all this? And, you know, I'll I'll arrange, you know, the lunch and what's going to happen. Now, it's very important for leaders to strategize and organize. But one of the best ways to rally people as a leader is, is every once in a while, you got to do the difficult work. you got to do the hard work. you got to do the grunt work. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you, you want to know the number one thing I missed from our old facility, the gym? The one thing I missed the most is the one thing we hated the most at the time. Setup. Every Saturday for four hours and every Sunday for two and a half hours, we would do setup and teardown. You know why I missed that so much? Because I saw so many people serving that had never done anything before. What I liked even more is that every single staff member and every single elder in this church, they all committed to at least one Saturday to set up our leaders. So effective ministry is all of us jumping in and doing something. Effective leadership is every once in a while you've got to do difficult type grunt type pick up a vacuum, set up some chairs, wipe down some tables. We're not that important, okay? Lead by example. Now, the story goes on, and here's the miracle that happens. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said, and then the man reached out his hand, and he took it. Like I said, weird what is going on here? Here's what's going on here. You got this white collar seminary student. He's got an axe, right? And he's chopping. He picks it up like that. And all of a sudden the axe said, splash, right? If you guys want to hear those sound effects again, you're going to have to listen to the podcast. I know they were very exciting, but that's what happened. He's like, oh shoot, what has happened? And we're like, no big deal. Just go down to Home Depot. You'll be back in an hour. Just buy another axe, right? But we forget that in those days, 8th century BC, an iron axe head is not only rare, but it's very expensive. And what makes it worse, he says what makes it worse, right? I borrowed it. Now, I almost get the feeling like I borrowed it. Like I went into my buddy's garage. He wasn't there. I borrowed it and I'm just going to bring it back later, right? Um, And then you got this whole thing of Elisha making the axe head 
float. And there's your miracle, right? And we'll figure out what the heck is going on here. Before we do, though, let me give you a list of some of his miracles, right? Here's the list of some of Elisha's miracles. Number one, he purified a large supply of water. A large, he, just, he had this town that was uh, contaminated water, and he basically saved the town by purifying clean water. Uh, number two, multiplied oil for a poor widow. We looked at that story, how God can provide for us, right? Number three, doesn't get much better than this. He raised a young boy from the dead. That's a big deal. Does anyone, has anyone heard the next one? Bears attack mocking teenagers. Do you ever hear that story in Sunday school class? If you look at your study guide, look at your study guide, or I think we have the picture up on, look at the picture right in the corner. You see the bear and, and the teenagers? You want to know what's going on there? Here's what happened. Elisha is walking along and these teenagers come out and they start, they start smack talking him. They start mocking him. Do you know why they started to mock him? No one knows. See, because he was bald. I kid you not. Someone says, oh, over there. Yeah, uh, I, they're mocking him. They're giving him a hard time. So you want to know what he does, what Elisha does? He, this is his miracle. He miraculously calls bears out of the wood to maul the teenagers. Isn't that awesome? Don't you wish you could do that? Terrence? Just call people out, right? Every once in a while, people go, oh, the Bible is boring. No, it's not. It's got stories like this. And it's like a Jerry Springer show, like every other page, you know? So anyway, I don't know why he does it. I, that's a story for another day, but that's in there. Number five, he feeds a hundred men, feeds men with, a, with just a little bit of food. Number six, he cures a man from leprosy. Number seven, he captured enemy soldiers by causing them to be temporarily blinded. You know what's very, very interesting about that? Is that two weeks ago, that very thing happened to the 49er wide receivers. I'm just saying... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I was waiting to say that all week. Okay, let's go to number eight. <laughs> and then we have our, please pay attention here. Let's get back to the Bible. He causes this iron axe head to float. What is going on here? Now, let me take you on a little bit of a tangent. You know what, Dave? I, I want to believe in this God thing. I even really want to believe in this Jesus thing. If I'm going to be honest with you, come on. Really? Really? I mean, we can have a little fun with this. And then you've got, you've got all the stuff in, in the New Testament that I'm supposed to believe, these so-called miracles. I'm not going to say it during donut time, but um, it's one of the reasons I, I struggle with this. It's one of the reasons I really struggle to believe everything, if I'm honest with you. I mean, come on. Jonah being swallowed by a whale. Balaam having a talking donkey. Joshua stopping the sun in the sky. Moses and the ten plagues. Jack and the beanstalk. I mean, how am I supposed to believe all that? That's not in the Bible, by the way. Some of you are like, where is that in the Old Testament? Now, you may not have thought that. Maybe you did. I guarantee you your coworker and your neighbor has. That this struggle with, um, I'm not stupid. You're asking me, however, to believe something that sounds very stupid. It doesn't make sense to me. So instead of avoiding it, let me help you process a little bit, maybe how you can process it, and maybe 
And don't use this as ammunition. It's not meant to be ammunition. It's meant to, to help you and help others process what miracles are and how can I understand so on and so forth. There was a philosopher in the 1600s by the name of Spinoza that said this and tried to break down philosophically why miracles can't happen. Here's what he said, four points. Miracles are violation of natural laws, okay? Gravity is a a law, and you can't have something happen that violates that law. Number two, natural laws by definition are immutable or unchangeable. In other words, these natural laws, like gravity... Existed 100 years ago and will exist 100 years now from now. You can't change them. It's, it's part of the world we live in. Okay, number three. It is impossible to violate nature's laws. Now, you can get an illusionist or a magician, trick our eyes and make us think that they're levitating, you know, a, a lady above a table or levitating a plane or making the Statue of Liberty disappear. But but that's a trick. In real life, it's impossible to violate and break nature's laws. Therefore, number four, miracles are impossible. And that's whether you process that like that, numbers or bullet points, that's how we get to the conclusion. Many people get to the conclusion, miracles are not possible. Now, what I'm going to do in two minutes is try and process for you, how do I deal with this or how do I help a friend get past this so that we can get them to Jesus? That's the point, right? There's three things you need to understand, the nature of three things. Let me show you. Number one is the nature of God. Um, By the way, that's not a difficult concept to believe in, God. Uh, 97% of the world believes in some form of God. There are not many atheists out there anymore. Pretty much the whole world essentially believes in a form of God. Now, the nature of God is that he's all-powerful, in other words, omnipotent. He's all-knowing, omniscient. He's perfect dot, 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 which means on and on and on and on. And one of his characteristics, one of his attributes is that he happened to have created the nature, nature and the world and all of its laws. That's who God is. You cannot philosophically start talking about miracles until you first understand the nature and the character of God. Once you have that established, now you define or you talk about the nature of a miracle, right? Because of God's nature and attributes. So you got to go right back to number one. Because God is who he is, at any point in time, he can supersede and trump the laws of nature whenever he wants. Think about if God could not do it. Think about if God, he had created nature, but couldn't supersede the laws of nature whenever he wanted. Would you want to follow a God like that? Neither would I. And that's... The point. That's the whole point. I know miracles sound crazy. That's the point. We have a God that can pull off crazy stuff. That's the whole point. Right? And then number three, the nature of the Bible is nothing more that this records some of the miracles that God has done through his son and through his people. If God can supersede nature whenever he wants and do this thing called a miracle this does nothing more than record some of the crazy stories that has happened again i i'm going to tell you what i if god could not feed 5000 people with two subway sandwiches and a couple tans of tuna 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 that'd be really good if he did that i wouldn't want to follow him i wouldn't i don't think so 
Now, I'm not going to not only trust him now, I'm not going to trust him for my eternity. But it's because he can pull off this kind of stuff. That's the reason we follow him. Um, So my encouragement to you, and I'm going to get back to the story here in a second, is this. Don't trip so much on number two, the miracle. If you're going to trip on anything, trip on number one, the nature of God. Because the minute you figure out and have a sense of who God is, it's like a domino effect. Everything else starts falling into place. So what is our miracle about? What is this axe head about? Turn to the backside of your study guide. Let's put it on the screen. What I want to talk to you for the last 10 minutes about is this. What do you do when you've lost something valuable, when you've lost your edge and effectiveness? What do you do? Do you remember swinging your axe for the Lord years ago with vigor? You remember that? Do you remember chopping away with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? I mean, you, were, you, you had your axe, you were chopping away, and chips were flying. You were knocking down tree after tree. You were building the kingdom of God. It was exciting. Not so much now. Something happened. And some of us can't even, we can't even figure out what happened. We just know that I don't feel today. I'm not the kind of person today for Christ than I was years ago. I've, I've lost my edge. I've lost my effectiveness for Jesus. And, and I'm here. I, I, I want to be effective for Christ. I, I want to make a difference in his kingdom. But something's off. And I'm not sure I can figure out what. What I want to do, I'm just going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to give you four ideas. What do I do if I've lost it? How do I get that edge back? There's four things I want you to write down. Write these down. Number one is be honest and admit your problem. That's what this young Bible student prophet does, right? The first thing he does in verse five is he admits it out loud. Oh, no, I lost the axe head. axe head, it fell in there. And yet so many of us are unwilling to admit when we have an issue or a problem. We hide it, we pretend that it's not there, we minimize it, we lie about it sometimes, we don't want to admit that it's a problem. Um, A team has been working really, really hard to launch next year our Celebrate Recovery Ministry and um, you know, in the midst of talking about all this, you, you, you do know, you know, as we've looked even what AA has done and try and be a little different than that, isn't one of the first steps of AA admit you got a problem? Because if you can't do that, if you can't admit you have an issue with alcohol, game over. Done. You're not going anywhere. And it's the same thing if you and I can't admit, I got a problem with anger. I got a problem with lust. I got a problem with gossip. I got a problem in my marriage. I got a problem in my finances. I got a problem in my career. If you can't admit, I got an issue here. You're not going to be able to put yourself in a position to fix it. That's the point. To admit that you have a problem, to admit that you've lost something. By the way, when you lose something, this guy lost an axe head. When, when you lose something, sometimes you find out it's just stupid, right? Have you ever found that? Have you ever been looking for your keys in, the, in your hand? Have you ever been looking for your glasses and they're right here? Where are my glasses? The worst thing that happened to me about, uh, about a month ago, I'm, I'm talking to this guy on the phone and we're trying to set up an appointment, right? 
What are we going to meet? We're going to meet Tuesday for lunch. Okay, Tuesday for lunch. Wait one second. I'm, I need to find my phone to see if I have that time. I, have, I literally have it in my ear, right? It's sometimes just stupid, right? Of course, one of the more famous things that I lost years ago was my, I, I, some of you have heard this before, I lost my paycheck. Uh, this is way back in the days of Abraham when they didn't have direct deposit and everything. And um, I lost my paycheck and my wife's like, where's your paycheck? I don't know. You know, they didn't give it to me at church. You better find out. So I called the treasurer of the church, my uncle. He was the treasurer of the church at the time. And I'm like, dude, you didn't give me my paycheck. He goes, I gave you your paycheck. Remember, I gave, you didn't give me my paycheck. And we went back and forth. I said, can you please just reissue the paycheck? Right? Sandy's going to kill me at home if you don't reissue the paycheck. Okay. So we did that. Two months later, I found the paycheck in a zipper um, pocket of my briefcase that I hardly ever looked in. I'm like, oh, shoot. Now what do I do? So I came up with this idea. I called my cousin, okay, his son, and I said, okay, take the paycheck. What I want you to do is I want you to hide it on the mat by the car, in his car. And I just want you to leave a little bit showing and just wait. It's a brilliant idea, don't you think? So sure enough, a week later, halfway in the middle of the day, my uncle's walking into my office, and I know. Like, he never come to my church, uh, to my office in the middle of the day. I know. This is it. This is going to happen right now. So he came into my office and for 15 minutes apologized for, you know, the check. Oh, it, no, it was wonderful. Don't awe. Oh, that was wonderful. I just smiled and smiled. Two, two reasons I did that. One, you all know this. I can be a punk about, you know, so that's reason number one. And reason number two is the same reason and issue that many of us have. We don't like to admit when we're wrong. Not me, not you, nobody. When you mess up, I mean really mess up, you put it on Facebook so we all can laugh at you and like it. Oh yeah, they're a loser. You know? We don't. We want to hide it. Let me ask you a question. Your heart. Is it more like clay? Is it more like ice? Let me explain. This book is meant to be the sunshine of God's Holy Spirit that penetrates deeply into our soul. Sunshine does two different things to clay and ice. To clay, it hardens it. And if I'm honest, there are times when God's word or God's people point out something in my life and I get prideful and I get hard. And so do some of you. Our soul is meant to be like ice. And God's word and his Holy Spirit is meant to melt away what ought not be there. So I'm going to ask you one quick question and I'm going to move on. What problem, what issue do you need to admit in your life? You know, what's interesting about that is that our spouse, our kids, our friends could probably give us all kinds of ideas. But I want God's Holy Spirit to talk to you right now. What? What issue, what problem does your God want you to work on? Now, if you can't think of anything, it's pride. Does that make sense? Because we all have issues to work on. Number two, let's move on. Is you need to determine the exact spot, time, and way you lost your edge. So the axe head falls out, and the prophet, first question, where exactly did it go into the water? Point exactly where, which is what the young prophet does. Right, 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 right there. Right there. If you've lost your edge, or you've lost the effectiveness and the fire in your marriage, 
How did that happen? When did that happen? Why did that happen? If your finances are out of control, what spending habits do you have in your life that are contributing to all this debt? Figure it out. If you have poor health, is there anything that you're doing that is contributing to that? Now, sometimes health is just our bodies are falling apart. And sometimes I'm contributing to it by what I eat or how much I eat or my exercise, lack of exercise or my smoking and drinking or what. Sometimes I contribute. You contribute to your poor health. If you have a friendship that is broken and severed, when and how did that happen? Why did that happen? If you've lost your spiritual edge, when did that happen? You know, for some of us, you want to know when it happened? We just stopped reading our Bible. Do you remember when you used to do that? You know, some of us, we would do the daily bread thing. I mean, literally, the daily bread takes three minutes, literally. Some of us, we did the whole two chapters a day, and, you know, that was a pretty good deal. And two chapters, that's about 15, 20 minutes. But something happened, and we got out of the habit, and then we got busy, and then we just kind of stopped doing it. It's as simple as that. Some of us stopped praying. Some of us never started praying. Oh, we got saved and someone explained to us, okay, the two most important spiritual disciplines are reading God's word and praying. Some of us never even started. Some of us is we, we stopped serving or giving. And at the time, there were really good reasons. I mean, we were going through that financial crisis and I lost my job and we had the car and the payment and the house payment. It was a mess. And we, so we stopped and we brought it down and we never started again. You do know that tithing is pointed out in the, in the Old Testament as the single most important indicator of how committed you are to God. Single most important. Some of us stopped serving. And again, we had really good reasons to stop. You know, the, the new baby was on there and I just couldn't do it. And I was juggling school and work and job and, it, and I, so I didn't do it as much. But, but the, there's no reason why we haven't reengaged. For some of us, it was an ever so small sin that we started participating in. And we never thought that smoking pot, a couple beers, porn on the internet, sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend, lying, cheating, anger, so on and so forth. We never thought it would so conquer and destroy our soul. And now that one sin runs our life. We never thought that small sin would be such a big deal. Talking about something starting small and growing big and it being disastrous. One of my favorite stories about this 30 some year old small time crook in New York City. He made his living by robbing purses from older ladies, little old ladies. Um, one day, Sunday, July the 1st. He robbed the wrong little old lady. He robbed the purse of 94-year-old Yolanda Gigante. Her son is Vincent Gigante, described by authorities as the head of the Genovese mom, the highest and most powerful mafia family in the country. When he was picked up by the police, the lieutenant said to him, quote, 
you just robbed the mother of the biggest mob chief in New York City. Chicago Tribune reported when the perp heard that, he just slumped in the backseat of the police car. He had this sort of stunned, resigned look on his face as if he was saying, how could have I been so stupid? And some of us should be asking the same question of ourselves this morning. What am I doing? What am I what am I doing? I have this secret sin in my life that no one else around me knows. And the ones that do know don't have the courage or we don't let them speak into our life. And that little sin has grown and it now controls our soul and it has a barrier between us and God. If you've lost your spiritual edge and your spiritual effectiveness, admit that. Have the courage to admit it and then try figure out how did this happen? Where did this happen? Because it puts you in a situation to now solve that, right? The last two. Number three, believe and act with confidence and with the expectation that God wants to help you. In this story, Elisha represents God, essentially. It represents what God wants to do in your life. And I don't know about you, but do you ever get caught thinking that God only cares about the really, really big stuff in your life? I don't want to bug him with the small stuff in my life because he's got a universe to run. But this story reminds us that God is even interested when when one of your tools goes missing. He cares about everything in your life. And you have to not only believe that, but live and act with the confidence and expectation that he wants to help you. See, if your perspective, there's two perspectives in life. There's Job's perspective. In Job chapter 3, I wrote this down. Here's what Job said. Everything I fear and dread comes true. Everything I fear and dread comes true. Do you know people like that? They're just negative in their thinking, and and their thinking and actions becomes literally self-fulfilling prophecies. Just the way they think and act makes their life worse. Paul, on the other hand, Philippians chapter one, here's what he says. I live in eager expectation, even while I'm going through these trials. In other words, my life has fallen apart, but I believe God is good and he's great and he loves me and he wants the best for me and he's going to get me through this. And your perspective will determine how God the father will work through your life. Jesus said to his followers, you want God to work in your life? You want my father to intercede in your life? Part of the problem with some of you is you don't have enough faith. You have next to no, you need some starter faith. Just like one match can get a whole forest fire going, you need, that's what you need. You don't need a lot, just the faith of a mustard seed. But you can't live and act as if God doesn't care, doesn't want to help you. Because God says, no, 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 I'm going to work through your faith. Do you believe God loves me? God wants the best for me. If so, say amen. amen. Then live like it. Live like that. Live with the confidence God wants to change what's happening in my life. He wants me to help find what I lost. Last point. Let me wrap this up. Realize that change requires God's power, but it also involves your initiative and my initiative. So the last part of the story, the man of God asks, where where did it fall in? He showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there. He made the iron float. And here it comes in verse 7. Lift it out, he said. Lift it out. In other words, do something. And then the man reached out his hand and he took it. 
Now, if God, through Elisha, has the ability to make an iron uh, axe head float to the top, does he also have the ability to levitate that iron axe head and put it back onto the stick? Of course he does. Why didn't he do that? Because he wants you involved. He wants your faith active. He doesn't want us sitting on a spiritual recliner chair. He wants us active. He says, lift it out. If you've got something going on in your marriage and it's not working, lift it out. Do something. When he brings that to your attention, if your finances are out of control, lift it out. Change how you're spending. Change, put a a budget together. Right? If you've lost your spiritual edge, lift it out. Do something different. Turn to the person next to you and say, lift it out. Now turn to your second option, the person on the other side. Say, no, really, lift it out. Some of you left the other person hanging, you know. Do something. Do something. Believe that God loves you. He wants the best for you. And he's going to intercede in your life. But here it comes. He's going to expect you to lift it out, to do something. Let's close in a word of prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to take 10 seconds and ask God a question. What issue and what problem do you want me to work on? I want you to take a couple seconds and listen to what God, Holy Spirit, is going to say to you right now. Listen. Now I'm just going to give you another 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and here's what I want you to do. Ask God to give you the self-control and the self-discipline to lift it out. Tell God what you're going to do about this issue. And then the second thing, ask him for his power in your life. Those two things. What are you going to do to lift it out? And ask him to give you his power in your life. Take 20 seconds and talk to your God. Dear Heavenly Father, this is kind of a crazy story. And I'm just so incredibly grateful. I know how how fun the study time was for me this week, trying to figure out what, what's going on here and why is it here. And When you started to reveal this idea of losing our edge spiritually, Father, if I'm honest, sometimes I think that the way that I, the way that we do ministry, the way we do the work of the Lord sometimes destroys the very work of the Lord in our hearts. And we get so caught up in doing. We get so caught up in impressing others around us that we forget that we're here this morning for you. And we want to be changed and transformed from the inside out. Father, we all showed up here today because we all at least have a minimal level of interest in pleasing you. At least that. And some of us here are honestly being confronted with this fact that we've lost our edge spiritually. And we miss the old us. 
we miss what it was years ago when we seem to have been on fire for you. Father, remind us that there's good news ahead, that we don't have to stay in this spot, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the starter faith that you've already placed in our lives, through the, through the, the guidance that you're going to give us to, to lift things out and make some small changes that then you will multiply in our lives that we can be as on fire for you as we once were. We can take that spiritual axe and chop down those trees and make a difference for your kingdom and in our families and in our jobs. So, Father, we're asking that you do that in our congregation. We're asking that you do that in every one of our lives, regardless of age, regardless of where we are spiritually. Father, change and transform us. Help us find what was lost. We love you. We thank you so much for your word more than anything else, though. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.